1: This is Into the Dark. We got a great show for you today, but before we get started, just a reminder, if you want to give some money to this radio station and keep the magic going, go to radiofreebrooklyn.com slash pledge. See you guys on the other end of the theme music. Stay tuned for Into the Dark. Or a bad witch? Who are the witches? Magic, necromancy, and witchcraft. Wake up! They're all about you! All about you! the
0: journalist with an inside
1: knowledge of
0: witchcraft. It's a sex thing of course.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Into the Dark, the show that takes you to every witchy where and when you've ever wondered about... We got a great show for you today. I'm going to be talking to Hope Diamond of Cult of Hope about her magical journey. Uh, and uh, going into the pagan origins of Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. And um, also going into a listener question about mice. So, got a jam packed show for you today. And I feel like I should mention hi, everybody. My name is Cooper Wilhelm. I don't think I've formally done the whole sort of like hey, hello, this is my name kind of thing that I feel like people tend to do with radio shows. So nice to meet you or re-meet you if you've been here since episode one about divination with Swan Dristy where I interviewed a psychic rat. Hi, I'm Cooper. Hello. Uh, so let's get into the joys of the day. So today, as you, I'm sure, are well aware, is Easter. And... Easter is a fun holiday where we celebrate the rebirth of an important religious figure. And what's what's interesting about that, of course, is there are many sort of figures from different religions that may or may not predate Christianity that uh, have figures that are similar to Jesus in this regard. For example, you have Horace, who uh, was born on December 25th, died and was reborn. You have Ishtar, who was sacrificed by being tied to a stake naked. He died, he came back to life. You have um, Mithras, who was born on December 25th, and followers would celebrate the spring equinox, which is more or less upon us. But one of the sort of precursors to Easter that I want to talk about in particular is the Roman rite of Hilaria. So Hilaria talks about... Or celebrates or recognizes an incident that sort of you find it kind of rising from um turkish religious traditions finding its way into ancient greece then into ancient rome and the basic premise goes like this there was a um daemon which is sort of like a demon but in a more sort of morally neutral form it's like a paranormal supernatural figure but they don't necessarily want to destroy or do evil things like demons do in the christian tradition though at the same time they're not necessarily good either um and this daemon was known as Ag- agdistus and um the thing about agdistus is the agdistus was a hermaphrodite had both male and female genitals and apparently the gods of olympia or olympus Marte Olympus, the gods of olympus uh were upset by this and so they cut off Ag, 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 Agdistus's um, male genitals, leaving the female ones behind. And so Agdistus became um, Sybil, the, a sort of mother goddess figure, and the genitals uh, became an almond tree. And when that almond tree bore fruit, Nana, the uh, daughter of a river god, took one of the almonds and put it to her chest and sort of absorbed it and became pregnant. And when she gave birth, she gave birth to a um god called Addis. And the thing about Addis was that she abandoned Addis. Addis got raised by a goat and then by some uh human foster parents, and then uh Sybil, who was Agnistus, saw Addis and fell in love with this being who was essentially her son, but also uh sort of part of her so it's sort of like a holy trinity, both like more uh gender equality in reference there. And um So she falls in love with Addis. Problem is Addis is betrothed to the daughter of a king, possibly Midas. And so at the wedding ceremony, uh, Sybil slash Agdistus goes in and causes quite the ruckus. It's sort of like the end of The Graduate when Dustin Hoffman bangs on the glass in the church and he was like, (laughs) <laughs> but um in this case instead of the uh bride and dustin hoffman who would be the Agatus figure in this instead of you know um blocking everyone in the church by putting a crucifix through the handles of the outdoor doors and uh, getting on a bus uh Addis just goes crazy and um commits suicide by castrating himself and this is really horrifying for a lot of people including um sybil slash Agatus. so she decides to make his body such that it will never rot or disappear and this was celebrated as a kind of fertility rite with the idea being you know you celebrate the return or the eternal nature of this beautiful uh being the same way you would celebrate the return of vegetation in the spring and there are links of course to easter as we understand it now and that's that's fun worth thinking about i would say uh but we've got a listener question that i'd like to like to jump on right now and that was um because we are of course a resource for the community and if you have questions about magic the occult witchcraft or anything like that do send that to into the dark rfb at gmail.com that's into the dark rfb at gmail.com because you are listening to into the dark on radio free brooklyn So the question we have for today is, dear, into the dark, is there a magic way or magic spell for getting rid of mice in your house? Now, this is an interesting question, because of course, the obvious answer for this is get a cat, which are sort of magic-y, you know, which are often associated with cats. Or, you know, just mouse traps. Uh, My dad used uh, peanut butter on those. But if you want to go, if you want to go the magic route, you just got to find yourself a good, old-fashioned banishing spell and there are a lot of banishing spells out there that can be a lot of fun and um most of them are not rodent specific they're for banishing evil spirits bad uh influences just people you don't like very much and there are a lot of ways of doing this i mean if you and like some of them are like easier and simpler than others Uh, if you want to go the full sort of intense route, which I mean, some people like, you know, they like to think that they're doing the work, they're putting in the effort to follow a very strict series of steps in a recipe, then you might want to try, um, the lesser, what's referred to as the, um, the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. And, um... This is something that we have at least, it's at least as old as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. It's probably older than that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they also do it in the Ordo Templi Orientis. Uh, but um, Tim Moroni does a good rundown of this that I, I'm sort of working off of. And the thing is, like, it's its long, it's complicated. Uh, but its it's basically a lot of sort of, it's a series of very specific steps that you can follow. I'm not going to go into all of them. You can look this up on our site when this becomes a podcast I'll do a link to it but just to give you a taste of the sort of stuff you'd be doing it's um involves steps such as touching the forehead and saying "ate," touching the breast say malkuth touching the right shoulder say vergubra touching the left shoulder say vegedula clasping the hands upon the breast say le olham amen Turning to the east, make a pentagram, that of earth, with the popular weapon, usually the wand, and say... yee Or actually just, oh, that's just saying the, the name of God. So say the Tetragrammaton. Um, you know, so it's, it's a serious bit of, um, business. Uh, but if you want to do something simpler, you can do, um, a more sort of basic uh, banishing ritual. And a lot of these have to do with candles. So what you want to do for most of these is get yourself... Um, a black candle and maybe some white candles, because the thing is, like, black candles are good for banishing, or at least all of the sources will tell you that. Whereas white candles are good for protection. So the black candle gets the thing out, the white candle keeps it from coming back. And um, I came across a particular banishing ritual that I, I rather liked, uh, that someone had sort of put together on YouTube uh, named Noah Tempestari. And the the video is about eighteen minutes long, and it's like one he developed himself, so you should go check him out. If you want to get more of what he does, but just to give you like a short rundown, what you need to do for that is to take a um is to take some coarse sea salt, so non-iodized salt, and make yourself a pentagram. So uh do five points and then connect the the lines of those points in the shape of a star and uh take some white candles. You can use tea candles for this, it's very easy. Put them put one at each point, and then take a black candle, um Most people would seem to use tapers or things like that, you know, the sort of long candles and um, just rub it between your hands, maybe move your hands up and down it. Try to imbue it with energy, um, thinking about banishing the thing you want to banish uh, and then put that in the center of that pentagram and uh, sort of move your hands over it, making kind of a dome while you're sort of infusing it with energy and intention and then then light Light those candles and maybe say um, some sort of spell to uh, vocally register your intention. A lot of people use spells that rhyme. I don't like spells that rhyme and mostly that's because I'm, by training a poet, more than anything else I mean I'm also you know I mean so I went to college for molecular biophysics and biochemistry and then switched over to poetry because I wanted to go where the money was and one of the things I sort of found is that I really disliked rhyming poetry because it's hard to do well a lot of people can do it but it just it feels I don't know it feels forced it feels sort of overly clever except for like certain poets who are very good at it Robert Frost, Philip Larkin, Elizabeth Bishop um but that's just me Uh, another banishing ritual you can do with a black candle, uh, which is a bit simpler. Just get a big black candle, write the name of the being you want to banish backwards on the candle with like a knife, you know, carve in that name and then burn that candle down while, uh, saying some sort of, um, once again, just verbal registering of your intention. Uh, for example, the source that I'm working off of for, uh, this one says, uh, in their, in their get rid of anything spell that Aaron liked put together, um, says, say something like, uh, oh gosh, where is it? Um, okay. Actually, so to go through like his specific spell, his sort of plan is, um, when the moon is full, carve whatever it is, the name, backwards into a black candle, take pins, drive them through the candle between each letter of the name, and uh, you can write down what you're sort of trying to achieve in a piece of paper, uh, fold it, put it under the candle, and then burn one letter of the name each day that the moon wanes. And the moon is a big part of this. A lot of these rituals say that if you want to banish something, do it during the full moon, that's when you can really summon the energy, summon the gusto necessary to both manage things and to protect yourself. Uh, so then the idea is to take um, each pin and stick it in the written piece of paper uh, when the candle has burned down. And then to take that written piece of paper and the pins and the candle walks and run, and toss them into a running body of water and then leave and do not look back at the water as you go and there's a lot to be said for the idea that like running water is used in magical rituals as a way of sort of keeping something locked down in the previous episode where we talked about um how to make a man impotent part of that include taking basically a talismanic connection to that person and then putting it under running water and the presumption would be that it would he would stay impotent until that thing was removed from the running water but at the same time like a lot of this like you know Figure out what makes sense for you. You know, if you want to use something sort of basic, like get a candle, do some stuff with that, that could be good. If you want to do something much more complicated, like that, uh, that ritual from the Golden of the Order, Order of the Golden Dawn, the sort of lesser banishing spell of the pentagram, you could do something like that. It's just what is making you feel your most witchy, what is helping you channel those witchly energies. And, um, to that effect, you can you can also incorporate other elements. So there's a there's a banishing spell that people use um, that sort of has a long, rich history, and it's that of the the it has a number of different names. The basic premise is like the vinegar of the four thieves. And while the story sort of changes about how this originates, the basic premise goes like this: there was a village in Europe many hundreds of years ago that was hit by plague and um, four thieves in the village each contributed different um, ingredients to a jar full of vinegar and garlic. And what they are sort of, is debated, but they um, put those in, those different separate ingredients, one each, and then drank of it, and they were the only survivors of the plague in that village. And then um, they were caught robbing houses that were empty because everyone else in the village had died. They were almost hung, but to save themselves, they traded... The recipe of this um, of this vinegar jar. Um, so for these vinegar, um, it's 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 hard to say what exactly you should put in there. Um, though some possible things that you can include um, besides the vinegar and the garlic, so use very good vinegar and use like garlic that you have um, peeled and chopped up. You can also include any of any four of the following: black or red pepper cayenne or chili pepper, lavender, rue, uh, rosemary, mint, sage, wormwood, thyme, or coriander. And um, this can be used in a number of different rituals and rites. Um, It's, it's, I think, used in either the voodoo or the hoodoo tradition sometimes to split up couples that you don't want to be together anymore. But if you want to use it as a sort of banishing spell or to uh, protect yourself from something, if you want to use it for a banishing spell, uh the trick would be to write the name of the thing you want to be banished on a piece of paper soak the paper in the vinegar and then fold the piece of paper as small as you can and bury it in dirt and if you want to use it to protect yourself you can um you can sprinkle it around the perimeter of your property to keep magical intruders away and so like with this of course you would write the name of the mouse or just the word mouse something like that and that would be sort of the best way to sort of incorporate this into this i should mention also once you have all the ingredients you want in your jar of vinegar you should let it sit for four days shaking it once a day and you should have it sit um basically actually, you don't yeah, any anytime really i was I was looking for like in my notes to see if there's anything about when the what the moon should be doing, but I think you just do it any time, so like so to recap, four thieves vinegar, take a jar of good vinegar, put in some peeled minced garlic, then four other items from the list mentioned before, and I can put that up when this becomes a uh, podcast version on the site, uh, and then use that for your magical purposes once it has sat for four days and stewed um. But you know these are all sort of general vanishing techniques. I have also found something specifically for getting rid of mice. So if you don't want to do the cat and you don't want to do any of these sort of like more involved things, here's what you need to do. Wait for the full moon. Once again, full moon is very important. Uh, And then take four yellow candles and a sprig of lavender or heather and on the full moon, light the four yellow candles in the shape of a square. Place the sprig of lavender or heather inside the square and then chant, creatures be gone. No harm to be done. Be on your way from this house today. So say that. Creatures be gone. No harm to be done. Be on your way from this house today. Let the candles burn for a few hours and then relight them every day until they have burnt down. So that's a spell specifically for getting rid of rats and mice, which is fun. So, you know, thanks for sending in that question. If anybody else has a question... For our research department, send that to into the dark rfb at gmail.com or contact me on Twitter. I am at Cooper Wilhelm, which is my name, as I said at the beginning of the show, which may be the first time I sort of said, Hey, this is my name. So, hi, hi, everyone. Hello. Uh, so next we're gonna move over to my um interview with uh Hope Diamond. Um, Hope is a, uh, tarot reader, a musician here in New York City, uh, and she's been exploring witchcraft and and matters of that sort for quite some time, and we talked, uh, for a while, we met in a, uh, beer garden in Queens that was outdoors, and we, um, talked about her spiritual journey, which is interesting, I mean, I found particularly interesting because she came from a very sort of strict Christian background and then, uh, moved over to witchcraft and sort of more, um more occult uh practices and it's interesting because like i I particularly found it interesting just because like it mirrored my own sort of uh history of growing up a very devout christian and then uh having that kind of fall away and then finding um spirituality more in things like witchcraft uh which is interesting because of course i mean you, you hear stuff like this but like i'm sure it's possible for people to maintain both like i'm sure there are christians who do witchcraft and I'd love to talk to one. so if you if you are a Christian witch or a Christian who does magic or you know someone like that, by all means please uh, contact me into the dark RFB at gmail.com or at, on Twitter and uh, you know love to chat. you don't have to you can do it anonymously you can also just send me an email and I can just sort of give people the gist of things so even uh, the way you talk, your syntax will not reveal who you are. Uh, but here's that, here's that interview and I'll talk to you guys on the other side. I mean, just like off the bat, like why did what got you you into this? Like, was this a family thing or no,
0: no, no? My family is Reformed Baptist. They're super conservative Christian, and they were like, I was not allowed to read Harry Potter. Wow. Yeah, Lord of the Rings was okay because that was written by a Christian, but Harry Potter was witchcraft. And I always had an aesthetic interest in the occult, but the only spiritual practices I'd been exposed to were Christianity. So I sort of. Because I had negative feelings about Christianity, I wasn't able to apply spirituality to the occult, so I was drawn to the material things of the occult, like tarot cards and crystals and the, the witch archetype and those elements of art and aesthetic really appealed to me. So I began to explore those. I've always loved Stevie Nicks and Celtic music and Enya and fairies and mythology, so that sort of... Uh, those things paved like a worldly entrance into the occult and then the more i began to study that and grow and cast off christianity and realize there were other forms of available spirituality out there that were not in that super rigid um bible thumper tradition uh, i began to actually appreciate the the meanings symbolism behind all the occult aesthetics and arts so, that's, I would say that happens, my own spiritual development probably started happening really fully, like, about a year ago, like, last February or March. Oh, okay, so yeah. you're
1: actually pretty, like, new to the, like, sort of spiritual side of that. Yes. How long were you dabbling in more, like, uh, kind of the aesthetics before that? I
0: mean pretty much my whole life, like since I was, I was always interested in fairy tales and fantasy and fantasy fiction during adolescence and teen years. And then when I was a teenager, I got really interested in fairies and fantasy, (laughs) but sort of kept it into the realm of make-belief and didn't, it, it was hard for me to see a way to relate to that personally. I still sort of viewed it as a mythological legend of yore that I could, Search after and find, but applying it to my life and practice was a little scary. Yeah, yeah.
1: What, so, what, if, what about it? scared you? was it that it was sort of like taboo and not Christian, or is it something else?
0: I just—it was hard for me to take seriously because mm-hmm. mythology and spirituality will always be there. But in the Christian circles, it's and in much of the modern Western world, it's—you can't get rid of it. So you have to distort it into some removed far off myth that is a story that's a fantasy that is not relatable to you right because if it were then you could get personal power from it and you wouldn't have to be bowing down to the christian god and the patriarchy so
1: okay so you felt like there was a lot of pressure to just discount exactly yes. and what um what initiated that shift for you? what made you sort of feel like you could apply this work
0: Well, I got uh I was at a really bad place in my life and uh thank you very much. And uh I just I wasn't I wasn't sure what to do and I was going through a lot of personal struggles and depression and uh I just I guess I turned to a very introspective state in my life and that made me reflect about a lot of things including that part of me that I had disconnected from from such a long time. Because I was connected to the spiritual realm when I was a child even though I didn't know of a way to relate relate it to myself personally. I still was enamored with a fantasy um, of mythology and then you know early adulthood was more completely casting that off and then as I grew and developed and wanted to return to how I was before I experienced a lot of personal struggles that was one of the big influences in my teen years so I thought I would revisit that and then what I had accumulated from life experience really taught me that there was applicable truth and wisdom in that and there was an interactive practice.
1: So, are there are there any traditions that in particular drew your attention? Because you mentioned like the sort of Celtic Druid mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but like, was that when you went back? Was that sort of where you landed, or did you try priorly- a
0: No, when I when I went back, probably about um, well, I first I first started getting into tarot and crystals on more of a, an exploratory level in two thousand and thirteen, okay. and that was. I wanted to have magic in my life, but I thought that fantasy and and Celtic legends were all, you know, I liked them, but I didn't take them seriously. So I, for a while, for about 2013, 2014, and 2015 almost, like, so for three years, I tried to study the occult as more of what I found in in the bookstores as far as with crystals and tarot and get into the more technical, metaphysical level and understand it from a more adult perspective so I could take it seriously. But then it was just earlier this year that I really when I really started doing music that opened up my imagination, I began to see a lot of similarities between music and the spiritual meanings there and the abstract storytelling and how that relates directly to the occult and how the the beautiful, imaginative fantasies of my teen childhood years were just an abstract telling of the more uh, scientific, methodical things I had learned in the modern occult world.
1: Okay, so like when you when you look at like sort of the modern occult, what sources in particular? You mean as
0: far as books I've read? Or? Yeah, like
1: books or thinkers or...
0: Well, I really, uh, one of the first uh, mm. modern occult books, non-fantasy fiction occult books i read yeah. was The Satanic Witch by Anton LaVey. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay,
1: awesome.
0: Yeah, and um, I didn't identify as a Satanist, but I, I wanted to learn about sexuality and seduction. Mm. And... I I don't follow everything in that book, but I thought it was very interesting to to read that from his perspective. He's very analytical and psychological. Um, Robert Greene's books are also very helpful. I don't think he's considered a traditional occultist, but he's written The Art of Seduction, The 48 Laws of Power, and Mastery, and those are all very uh, seemingly secular books, but that They focus on the personal power within you and in using historic examples as to how people throughout history use their personal power to get what they wanted. And personal power is really another form of magic. So that's also what I've thought was been very helpful. And then tarot in and of itself, just studying the tarot cards, um, Yet right now, I have several like encyclopedia tarot books I'm going through, and I'm taking notes on each of the major arcana, and then writing essays on them. And just learning about it through that, It's you're not reading it from one source, you're gleaning from a lot of different things. So I would say, if you have an area of interest in magic, something that piques your interest, whether it's crystals, tarot, runes healing read as many books on the subject as you can and then pick and choose what resonates with you and that will be your practice
1: so it's a very like it's both like sort of a study and intuitive
0: yes kind of and okay. that and with and with magic that's if if i could say anything about it it's you have to marry your personal intuition with academic study and that's something that i think is a lack of those two things coming together is very prevalent in our current society because people either think they have to be technically minded, scientific, or artistic, and you can't be both, but the true whole human being will find a way to be both. Uh, The true renaissance person, and that was a quality that was really demonstrated in the renaissance era, the the complement of art and science and spirituality and music, and I think that it's hard to have one without the other.
1: And so when you, when you like, when your interest in the occult, in your occult studies that you're doing, how do they play out in the music you're doing?
0: Well, they, they come from the same place. Okay. Um, the music I'm doing right now, I'm working with a couple of other musicians and we're in the process of forming a band. I'm also working on some solo material and within the next month I'll be starting a YouTube channel where I will be playing some of my solo material as well as making videos regarding the tarot. So music and magic both come from the same place of introspection and figuring out how you work as a human being and and where your personal power comes from, but then turning it around and reflecting it outwards. So same with anything I learned spiritually in terms of magic, like with a tarot, which is probably what I would consider my main magical practice. Um, it helps me learn a lot about myself, but it's almost like when I get that information about myself, I want to turn it around and tell it to everybody else, and if giving them a tarot reading is the best way to get that across, and to, to help them with whatever they're going through, then I can do it that way. Or with music, it's about, it's about sharing your personal experience to better other people and to better your own soul. And it's a mutually cleansing process that brings light and positive energy to both
1: parties. That's fantastic. How often do you um, read tarot just for yourself as opposed to somebody
0: else? It's it's hard to read tarot just for myself. It was, when I first started reading tarot, it was easier to do it on myself because I didn't know so much about it. And I would just open the little booklet that comes with the deck and be like, ah, this card means this standard right away kind of stuff. Yeah, and and now it's I, when I give tarot readings I have a better understanding of what the cards technically mean, okay. but I also try to tap into my more intuitive side with um, not being afraid to, to say random things if they really come to me in a meaningful way. And it's challenging enough to do that with another person. Yeah. Because if, if what you're saying isn't... You can't say, oh, I'm saying this because this card means this. If you're if you're giving them something on top of that that's just based on your intuition, it can be a little scary because you're like, is this awkward? Are they going to think I'm weird for saying this? And then applying that to yourself, it's hard to to step away from that and see if you're giving yourself this reading because of what you want yourself to hear or what you really think, so.
1: Have you ever um, made any sort of like big life decisions or had any sort of revelations through a tarot reading or something like that? Oh, through one I've received? Yeah, or done for yourself. Um,
0: well, I think one of the, the biggest life revelations I had was when I first started getting my cards read. Yeah. Um, I went to several tarot readers, um, back when I lived in Pennsylvania, and then I went to one in upstate New York on a family vacation, and they all said that I had the gift as well, and the first time, the first time that was told to me, I immediately wanted to discredit and think, oh, you probably say that to everyone to make them feel good about themselves, and you know, I was very skeptical, and then, But it happened with two other tarot readers, and I thought that maybe I should take that seriously. So that's when I purchased my first deck, and um, it was a slow process to learn to take it seriously and to really study it and believe in my own intuition, but that was a really positive personal growth experience, so.
1: That's fantastic. Um, So in terms of, so you've been designing jewelry and clothing as well. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. No, I I don't design jewelry and clothing.
1: Okay, that's somebody else's Etsy I found. Never mind. Oh
0: wait, wait, was it? I do have an Etsy shop. Oh okay. But um, that was wasn't really anything handmade. It was I used to sell vintage clothing. Oh. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I don't I don't do that anymore. I actually, not full time, but I have a. I actually just shot a bunch of items from my personal collection that I was getting rid of, so I'll oh, okay. probably be a couple hundred listed later on this month if anyone wants to check that out. <laughs>
1: okay. Um. So, to what extent did you feel like once you were able to take all this seriously and feel like this is an expression of your own power, mm-hmm. um, what role did it play in your sort of larger life? Like how like because you seem pretty open about this, like, with your friends, but, know, like, a lot of people, or, like, with people generally.
0: I like, don't keep it hidden from anybody.
1: Okay. And did this, like, make things weird with your family at all, or?
0: Um... Not... My relationship with my family isn't very healthy. Okay. Um... And I'm fine being perfectly open about my relationship with my family. Um... It's the, it's the honest truth, and if it offends them, they're the ones who believe what Jesus says about the truth will set you free, so they don't like to hear it, that's fine. Um, so like I said before, I was raised very conservative Christian, and um, when I was 18, I moved out of my parents' house and moved in with a boyfriend, but I didn't tell them about it. I, I lied to them and said I was living with a friend, and then when they found out that I had premarital sex their first move was to cut me off financially. Yeah, and I wasn't doing any, I I was in college, I was working two jobs, there was, the only bad life decision I was making was having premarital sex. So, given that, my relationship with them, aside from the cult, has been very um, inauthentic and tension-filled. I moved to New York uh, in 2014.
1: Where, where did you grow up?
0: Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, I worked at a strip club. So, and that's something that, I mean, I haven't told them yet. If they hear on this interview, that's perfectly fine by me. But, um, so, aside from the occult, um, my relationship with them has been a little weird because I want to have a good relationship with them but they're not they're not very accepting of me at all and adding the occult on top of that is very it just amplifies an already uh strange situation yeah. like when I first started uh I host a monthly event since last September uh called the Witching Hour and it's um immersive occult experience once a month at a bar in the East Village and when I first started doing that I was really really proud of it so I told my mom and she started crying on the phone so it's it's really hard for me to be able to talk to them about, about that at all because I want them to be proud of me and to be proud of the progress I'm making with my life yeah. but the areas that I'm making progress in are Make them really sad, so and they just shut down. So it's a very weird dynamic. That's
1: really sorry to hear that. Uh. um, When so, would you say that like? You've sort of left that Christian upbringing more or less behind, or are there bits? Are there ways in which it sort of transfers into your adult spiritual practice? Well,
0: at first I didn't think so. At first I thought, you know, fuck Christianity, Uh dear God, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Um,
1: Happy Easter, everyone.
0: Yes, um, I think that a lot of what I feel about Christianity has to do with my father. And the type of Christian circle I grew up in, because I have uh, family friends from my childhood whose families are Christian, but they have a really loving and healthy family. My dad was very dominant, emotionally unattached, um, kind of like, you know, an abusive, patriarchal father. So I think my own views on Christianity are screwed because of the people who taught it to me. Uh, I think that true Christianity, uh, to be a true Christian, I think you have to follow the two main principles of the Bible, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when it comes to a two-law Christian, then yes, I think in a lot of ways I would consider myself a Christian. But I was... I was recently reading this book by Doreen Virtue called The Lightworker's Way. And that's about tapping into your own spirituality and using your spiritual gifts as sources of light and love and to help heal other people. And she's a Christian and she believes in God, but she also comes from a very new thought background. So reading that book helped me to understand how Christianity, if you go to the spiritual core of its essence, can be same thing as any other more um occult spiritual practice um for example in that book she says that christ that wasn't really his name christ was uh, a word used for people who emitted light and positive energy and he just happened to have been so enlightened that people called him the christ so in a sense if you you have to ignore a lot of what the bible says and for bible believing christians What I'm saying, they would just listen to and think it was a bunch of bullshit because I'm throwing out a lot of the Bible. But um, I think that if you take out the cultural context of a lot of what the Bible says and go by what it really means, I think that it can send a very positive message about um, being a being of light and sharing that with the world and other people. And I agree with that. And if that's what it means to be a Christian, I will call myself a Christian in a minute. But. It's,
1: I, I, I honestly wish more people Who would, Christian, would basically take that stance I know, I know um,
0: it, it would be like if in uh, 300 years If people had, it, had Found some way to take Yoga and Buddhism and meditation And turn it into a way to manipulate people And abuse it yeah. So it's, it's The real Jesus is probably very sad By how most of his would be followers are acting and how they abuse
1: his teachings. I mean, like I was, I was raised a uh, sort of tambourine hitting New England Baptist and like, tambourine hitting. <laughs> you know, like you know, you play an acoustic guitar. And you oh a big yes, sweater yes, and you yes, a lot of yes, yes. And like honestly, like the people who I felt like were most upholding Christian values a lot of the time happened to be like atheists or Satanists. Honestly, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of very good Christian folks on your side. Like you know, my mom's the same. No it's actions like, no speak louder than words. Um, but tell me more about the Witching Hour. That's at the, the Tavern of the Three Cups, or the Bar of the Three oh, Cups? Oh, it's a
0: uh, Three of Cups Lounge of Cups in lounge. the East Village. Um,
1: so, like, an immersive occult experience. Yes. What's
0: that like? Walk through it. Uh, well, it started off as I made a post on Facebook wanting to uh, do more tarot readings, and my friend was bartending there, and she said I could read tarot there um, the third Thursday of every month. And then two of her friends got involved, and we decided to take it to a more immersive experience. So, each month celebrates an astrological sign. Okay. So, this month it's actually uh, 420, next Thursday. Woo! Yeah! Um, are green. Uh, is Aries, and we decorate the place with lights and crystals and a fog machine and have a different type of music like witch house and classic heavy metal and a bit of celtic new age so it's um its focus is on witchcraft and and having that very ritualistic ceremonial vibe and then i offer tarot readings and special crystals that correlate with the astrological sign of that month and then at midnight we do a ritual which is focused around the sign of that month and how to um just an awareness of that sign and how to manifest those positive qualities into our own lives and everyone comes forward and gets blessed by crystals and sage and you can drink, there's a bar.
1: Um, in terms of your use of crystals, like what do you, because I'm going to be honest, like as much as I'm like an occult like researcher type person, I know almost nothing about crystals. I just okay. know they're like... Energy, related <laughs> or something. They're pointy. Yeah. Some of them are water soluble, apparently.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Just why you can't use them as a dildo. I've been warned multiple times. So. <laughs> well, you can.
0: You can use a lot of them as a dildo, just uh, not selenite. That's the one I was
1: wondering. Yes. Not yes. About. Um, I mean the ones, the ones I've seen of selenite. Like, I don't. I guess anything. Okay, sorry. Some <laughs> Tell me about crystals before I get down this rabbit hole. <laughs> um. Crystals are. And this is a big topic, so if you yeah. don't, don't want to like get into, I mean, this could be like a whole other interview, probably. I yeah. should I should find a crystal person to talk to about crystals at some point. If you want to come back on the show and do like a crystal sure, play, I, can do that too. I,
0: I would totally. I'll, I'll give you the brief rundown of it. Okay, cool. Um, crystals are. I view them. Like the, the category of crystals for me is fifty percent energy connection and fifty percent placebo effect. Interesting.
1: Okay. So
0: I think that in many ways crystals are a physical item to um, to help you focus on whatever you're trying to do with them. Okay. Like if you're if you're meditating and you're holding a green aventurine, aventurine is really good for healing the heart for good luck, financial prosperity. And so if you want to have your heart healed or maybe have financial prosperity into your life or need a lucky break, it helps if you're... Phys- because we live in a physical world, it helps if you're physically holding an adventuring and concentrating it and feeling the energy and you'll be concentrating to feel the energy from it. Whether or not there's any energy there or not is... It's, it's very much in your mind, right. but you'll be concentrating on that, and it'll help you to focus. Okay. I do think, though, and, and for a while that's mainly how I used crystals, um, but the more I've been trying to expand my knowledge of the spiritual realm and take it from spiritual things in an earthly setting to spiritual things in a spiritual setting, it's you have to be connected to both worlds and the more i grow in connection to the higher worlds the more i do feel an actual coming buzz of energy in those crystals i think a lot of it has to do with faith and then it will come more naturally to you so and as far as the placebo effect goes even with placebos even if if crystals actually had nothing in them if crystals were just Turns out they're all made out of plastic. They're fancy rocks. Ex- yeah, if, if that's all they are. Um, medical studies show that people who undergo placebos will, even if it's only 20% of people who are affected by a placebo, that's 20% of people in a study who use their minds and the belief they were getting healing to heal themselves. And that is being able to... To heal yourself and have power with your mind and that is magic. So even if crystals in and of themselves don't have a magical property to them, they can be really great for training your mind to be more powerful.
1: That's fantastic. Uh, um so if there is something because you know you've got this this forum now um, say so, say things to the magic-y people Because <laughs> we have... I've been staring at the analytics on this show because I could do like a, a podcast after we do the radio show uh-huh. and like we'll have like ten listeners in Norway and it's like way to go! Yay! The world is so...
0: There's of- a lot of good metal in Norway. There's a lot of good metal in Norway.
1: <laughs> but like, so speaking to the people of Norway and also... Um, Ohio, I think, pops up a lot. Okay. You know, the kids, the magic kids. Everyone. Um, what would you say to somebody who's like interested in this sort of thing and they want to get involved but they don't know what they're doing? Like, what advice would you give? How would you, what would you just like be able to express a thing?
0: Well, I think that, um, especially to people who may not live in an area that's super friendly to magic, like New York, I think we're very blessed to have a an open occult community and, and places and stores and classes and teachers and healers here. Totally. But if you live in an area of of the world where that is either frowned upon or there's just not an availability to that, that's perfectly okay. We luckily live in a a day and age where you can gain a lot of valuable information from the internet, from internet communities, um, Facebook, Instagram. Those aren't just for taking selfies. You can actually connect with people and form friendships and relationships based on mutual interest through that. But I think that... At the end of the day, my local occult, pagan, spiritual community has been really helpful in learning things from other people, but the most valuable things I've learned about my practice have been from the time I've spent alone in nature and from reading books. And you can do that anywhere. So magic is about, I think there, there are two things in this world, there's nature. And things that humans do not create and then there's the shit we create so the things that we don't create how did they get there i'm not going to get into a discussion about evolution and creationism right now but it's still we didn't do it therefore it is exotic it's mysterious it's what is refreshes us because it is outside of ourselves so being in nature and connecting with that and just watching the different cycles of the seasons, being connected to the cycles of the moons, having a respect for that, it really helps you develop an inner peace and inner stillness and inner self-awareness. And I, I I turned to magic because of a lot of uh, personal anxiety and problems I was going through. And I think a lot of people seek the spiritual world to find solace and peace. And you can't do that by buying a tarot deck or by buying rooms. And, and it's very easy to try to solve your problems with the the physical things of the occult world, the tools. and And that's what I did for a long time. But when you really... The tools are meant to be used as ways to express what you know from within. And to find what you know from within is best found in just solitary time in nature, personal practice, the very, very, very little things, like start learning about the chakras, maybe meditation. If you have an interest in fantasy fiction, read fantasy fiction. You may think, well, this isn't going to actually teach me about magic. This is just some story somebody made up. That may be so, but it will stimulate your imagination on the right path, and once your imagination is stimulated, imagination and intuition are very tightly connected, and if your imagination is stimulated, your intuition is is raised. When your intuition is raised, that combined with being in nature will make you aware of a greater sense of magic, and you'll be better called to follow um, a particular path with that and to explore your natural gifts to then be able to give back to other people.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Thank you. And like that was actually Good. gonna be like the capstone like question, but you mentioned something that I'm like curious about, so I'm gonna, if I may, one more.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could mean, I, can, I can talk for five more hours. Um,
1: so, so you mentioned like finding your sort of pagan community here in New York or possibly in Pennsylvania. Like, how did you go about finding other people? Like, if you wanted um, a community, like, where did you turn to? Well,
0: the first person, the first friends I ever. Had who was into this. She, uh, her name is Joy, and she owns this beautiful company called Cosmic Joy for All. She carves beautiful antler jewelry and studs it with gemstones, and she offers psychic, intuitive readings. She's, uh, I've been friends with her since I was seventeen, and we were both uh, going through some personal evolutionary changes. And she began to really get into the spiritual, and I looked up to her very much as an older sister figure and so I became interested in that and that's when I started getting into crystals and tarot and she was sort of my first person I felt connected with in that and I had another friend in Pennsylvania that I did that with as well but there wasn't really much of community there they were little shops but they, they didn't it was more like come to our store buy our stuff and leave and we have weird energy yeah <laughs> So here uh, in New York, I went into... I started vending crystals at the Full Moon Market in Catland. And then that's how I met some people and just started making friends through that. I volunteered at Catland for a few months last year. And I'm trying to think... I think it's just a matter of, of finding people who share the same interests as you do and, and connecting with them. And uh, right now one of my favorite places to go to is the Fairy Den. The Fairy Yes. Um, my friend Elfling has that, and it's her apartment, and she sells beautiful healing crystals out of that. Um, her, her place is filled with such light fairy magic and positive energy. And it really, uh, just being there and uh, getting to know her and the healing that she's taught me through her crystals and her immersive meditation classes has helped me to grow a lot and tap into fairy magic, which was, like I said before, fairy fantasy fiction was a big part of my teen years. So, and, and you know, I, I met her like uh, last month. So even within the past month, I've done a ton of growth as far as uh, fairy magic goes. So so the fairy den i would recommend and then uh, annabelle gatt has been a very helpful mentor to me as well a really great teacher she's a wonderful astrologer and she teaches a lot of classes about horoscopes astrology your rising sign how to take the astrological elements and apply them to your own life and she's been uh, a very good guide with that so um, connecting with the right, not only the right communities, but the right mentors and the right individuals as well. Uh, it's, for anyone looking to explore the their spiritual side, if you're able to tap into a spiritual community, that's great. And it's even better if you can find someone within that community who you can find as a trusted mentor or as a guide, someone who who is not in to the spiritual To boost their own ego But who is in, in this world To help other people Because they will want to help you And teach you And so you can both Better spread knowledge And positive energy
1: That's fantastic So you don't, you don't have to go with alone.
0: Okay. Exactly Exactly And someone who will also um, Accept you for who you are And be open to you Developing in new ways That may not be exactly How they developed
1: Thank you so much for talking to me about this. So I hope you'll come back on later in like with your crystals and maybe for magic once again. Yeah, you're you are
0: absolutely welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Big thanks to Hope Diamond for talking to me about her spiritual journey and her magical practice. If you wanna follow her, learn more about learn more about what she's doing, go to go to uh cultofhope.com or check her out on her Instagram, which is also Cult of Hope, and uh, be sure to maybe check out her next Witching Hour, which will be on 420. What? What? Um, And before we actually um, started the interview, I had the the recorder recording, mostly so I could get a sense of the levels while we were there. And uh, we were talking about um, the differences between Satanism and devil worship. And the thing is, like, I've done that on the show before. We've talked about that on the show, like, maybe three or four episodes ago. And I think I did a fair enough job, but she did it. Her description of that difference was so good and so succinct that I'm really glad I was able to keep it or catch it on the tape. So here's what she said about the differences between Satanism and devil worship.
0: Satanism is more about viewing the... It's not about the actual devil. It's about acknowledging our fleshly desires and focusing on that and using Satan as almost like a cartoon right. like a caricature of that devil worship is taking it literally right. and a lot of people think that when they think of Satanism they think of devil worship not actual Satanism
1: and that was really good also I, I just love the point that she made while we were doing the interview and then after I turned everything off and we were just chatting before we left the beer garden to go our separate ways that um, you know it's just if you're interested in the occult if you're interested in magic don't shy away from depictions of it in um fantasy fiction other fiction stuff like that because a lot of those writers they are interested in these things too and so they might be basing them on things that are actual belief structures like you know personally i'm a huge fan of hp lovecraft and all his weird horror writing and like he'll talk about you know day gone and the thing is like you can it'd be easy to sort of think like, oh, maybe Dagon is fictional in the same way that his uh, sort of sorcerer figure, abdul Hazard is fictional, but then you'll Google it and you'll find that, oh, Dagon was a Babylonian fish god that presumably people actually worshipped at some point. So like this is, you know, it's a good route to learn more. And if you wanna learn more about anything, really, and you wanna have a research department look into it, go to IntotheDarkRFB at gmail.com. That's email me at the Dark R into the Dark RFB at Gmail.com because you'll see the Dark on Radio Free Brooklyn and uh sick our research team on those on those questions and queries and if you want to talk to us about your spiritual journey about your magical practice hit us up there or go to uh at cooper wilhelm on twitter because that's that's where i am thanks for listening happy easter and uh stay tuned for our next show which is why do we only listen to dead people because i mean you know it is the day for the dead to rise happy easter everybody thanks for listening